Oh boy. You see what happened to this poor fellow? What? Well, look, he lost an arm. So the trap has nylon nets called heads. Two side, side heads to let the lobster crawl in. And inside, they call a bedroom head to hold the bait and keeps them from escaping. You know the old saying, uh, two is company, three is a crowd? No, it's like that. You uh, get more than two of these in the bedroom, and the chances are something like that's going to happen. Reboot. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhood Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters, Lighthouse Keepers, and Lobster Eaters. This is Ruined Childhoods, and this week we are up in the Pine Tree State, the tippy top of New England, or as I like to call it, America's High Five. You may know this state as the birthplace of Patrick Dempsey, Anna Kendrick, or Stephen King. If you're saying this state's name, you'll notice that it's the only monosyllabic U.S. state, and perhaps you follow it with the phrase, We're in the bedroom takes place. That's right, we're in Maine, and we're talking about the 2001 Oscar-nominated film, In the Bedroom, directed by Todd Field. And for this episode, I'm going to warn everyone now, it is impossible to talk about this movie without spoiling the ending. Dan, have you ever been to Maine? Indeed, I have, John. Uh, twice in my Ooh. life that I can recall. Actually, I cannot recall the first time because I was maybe two or three. So, But I know it happened because there Pre-memory are- Pre-memory-making moments. Indeed, but there are photographs. And I am little toddler-sized me sitting on top of lobster crates, lobster traps- I don't believe there are live oh. lobsters in the traps as I'm sitting on top of them. So you are above the bedrooms, uh, I, indeed, as we'll talk about in a little bit. Yes, yes, indeed I was. I, I was in the attic, I guess. I So there was that time that our parents took, and for those listening for the first time, John and I are brothers, so that's- It's he, true. He's included in the hour. Our parents, he was not born yet by that time, so he was not on that trip to Maine. So, Couldn't even form the memories if I tried. I, yep. Nope. No memory-making ability whatsoever. But there were... So there's pictures of that trip, and I know about that. And then in my adult life, I went to a wedding in Maine, because we have a friend Ooh, from, lovely. from Maine who got married up there, we flew into the Bangor airport. And Bangor. Yeah, which actually, as I, I have learned recently, because in a, a whirlwind of coincidence, I am also in my capacity as, as the head of the high school theater program, producing mm. a student-directed production of the play, Almost Maine. Which includes a lot of information about Maine, such as Maine is the only U.S. state that only borders one other state. New Hampshire. Indeed. And also that it's that, which I always pronounce the way that you said it, Banga, is Bangor. Banga. Bangor. 
And Bangor. I have in fact been not not inside Stephen King's house, but have visited the outside of Stephen King's house. That's cool. And I know I know that uh yeah. having grown up with you, I know that you uh were a big reader of Stephen King novels, and I know that you I've I've seen a lot of Stephen King novels. In your bedroom. Yeah, I had... Speaking of in the bedroom. Yes, yes, indeed. The, the most interesting thing that happened were the Stephen King novels. But the... Yeah, the Stephen <laughs> King novels, which, you know, I have my... I described the experience of reading a Stephen King novel to, like, climbing a mountain where... Okay. You... Because I find the first half of a Stephen King novel, as everything is getting set up, I always find them to be very slow. Mm, and okay. a lot of Stephen King novels are, I have trouble getting into them. Not all, not all of them. Some of them I'm hooked from the beginning, but most okay. of them, I would say it, it takes me about half the book, but then once you hit the midway point and it's almost like mathematically the midway point, it just, everything kicks into gear and there's no slowing down from that point on. Gotcha. Right. So there's so a lot of Stephen King books I did read, and then a lot of Stephen King books I bought and started. But like, I'm pretty sure back at our parents' house, there's my hardcover copy of The Stand that still has uh-huh. a bookmark in it from 1991 or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those. So I so yeah, and same like same thing with it. Like I never finished uh-huh. reading it. It was mm-hmm. just too much. And the Dark Tower was hard. So I'm I'm not, I wouldn't what you call, I, I wouldn't, I'm not what you would call a Stephen King fanatic or, you know, even enthusiast, but a fan. Yes. I, I bought his book on writing, which is the uh-huh. best, like, writer's guide I think I've ever come it's, across. Okay. This is going to be one for the, the screenwriting people out there. But is it is it called like save the cat by uh, burying it at the pet cemetery? The book. Well, you know, the, you know the like, book save the cat. Save the no, I save don't. Save the cat is oh, save is the a, cat a is like a screenwriting book. It, it is it is a screenwriting book, which is kind of like the go to formula for screenwriting, and saving the cat is kind of the metaphor for you know the the mission of the movie that the movie needs to take place, or whatever, and. Uh, yeah, so if Stephen King's book of writing is going along that trend, oh. then it's Save the Cat by burying it in the pet cemetery. His book is just called On Writing. No, because if you save the cat by burying it in the pet cemetery, you might be saving the cat, but you are dooming everybody else. As as I know oh, yeah. from having well, that, pe- pet cemetery, said that's the point. Pet cemetery was actually the the last Stephen King book that I read, and I re- I read it not oh, too okay. long ago. But it was one of those just that I had never read, and I was like, okay, this one looks, you know, it's not like three thousand pages, and it, uh-huh. it's probably pretty good from the get go. Which there it was a bit of a sludge yeah. getting in there, but uh, yeah, pet- I guess I guess his book could have been called Save the Cat. Dot dot dot. From Cujo. Save the cat from Cujo. Indeed. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> save the cat. Save the cat's eye from Cujo. Yeah, another one. Save the cat. Cujo. Save the cat's eyes of the dragon from Cujo uh-huh. King. 
Stephen King's son. Uh, or Joe Hill. <laughs> he goes by Joe Hill, I think. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, Stephen, Stephen King's son, who's also a, a horror writer. So, okay, so you were in Maine. You went to yeah. the Stephen King house, or you saw the Stephen King house. Uh, do, and I and had went fabulous lobster rolls. Fabulous I, I lobster mean, rolls. I mean, you're in you're in Maine. If you're a lobster eater, you, you eat the lobster rolls. Well, yeah, but I just wanted to be clear in case anyone from Maine was listening and was thinking, like, how are you going to talk about going to Maine and not talk about having the lobster rolls? Done. I I did, and yeah, I would go back easily. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know. Maine the, was a great. The doors what's, are open. Go what's ahead. What's your What's your experience with Maine? I have never been to Maine. Uh, listeners of this podcast would know that I am a very big Murder, She Wrote fan. So I am there on my television uh, regularly, a couple times a season at least. And I, even though that wasn't filmed in Maine, it still has the spirit of New England. And I, I you know, we grew up on the East Coast. And when I was in high school and like looking at colleges, I think that I only ever made it as far as New Hampshire uh, when it came to, you know, selecting places to go. And I, yeah, New Hampshire was the furthest North that I went. So I didn't even make it across, across the edge there. Um, But it seems like a really beautiful place. We have a lovely uh, bonus coming up in this episode my very good friend Eric Goslin is from Maine. Uh, he was a guest on our Tango and Cash episode, and uh, he actually recommended a few Maine movies for us for this podcast, the one that we selected being In the Bedroom. And uh, in, in a little bit, we're going to cut to an, a little chat that he and I have about, uh, you know, Maine movies and uh, you know filming in Maine and also what it was like to grow up in Maine while things were filming in the area and um you know he was certainly there when in the bedroom was being filmed and uh certainly not terribly far from where he grew up um I think he was on kind of the other side of Portland which is the most populous city in Maine and uh, uh yeah i i mean we'll we'll cut to that in a little bit uh but eric who's just a a really solid dude um really talented uh podcaster himself and uh i should know because he and i had several podcasts together he's the one that got me started on it he was the one that said to me one day hey want to start a podcast in 2011 when you were visiting maine yes indeed yeah as I was eating so lobster roll, been, you were podcasting. It could, it could have been, yeah, it could have been that very same day that those two things took place. So uh, I'm really excited to dig into in the bedroom. I'm really glad that we uh, did wa- uh, watch this one for the podcast because it's not one that I think that I would have chosen on my own. Uh, not having seen it before, not knowing anything about it. And I watched it not knowing anything about it. So while I was watching it, there were many moments where I was just like, oh, oh, damn. Oh, okay. All right. Mm -hmm. That's happening. And uh, it really takes you on a journey. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons why we selected this movie out of the other options is also because it, it, it 
stars Tom Wilkinson, who we recently lost. And uh, not the first time we'd be talking about Tom Wilkinson. We, you know, discussed Tom Wilkinson on our Full Monty episode. Mm-hmm. Was he in any other ones that we've done? I don't think I don't believe so. so. No, yeah. I, th- I he's mean. he's wonderful. Yeah. He's in so many things, though. And, and sure. Especially franchises in the last 20 years he's been he's been mission impossible and the christopher sure. nolan batman mm-hmm. uh yeah so he i'm sure his name will come up again but this was this was his i mean full monty was really like the movie that that gave him wide recognition beyond the british yeah. audience but this movie really like he was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Actor. Uh-huh. This movie just boosted his profile so much. Big and- time. Yeah. And he is I'm I mean, this is an ensemble cast, but if you had to say that one person is the lead over anybody else, I'd say that it's probably going to be him. Um, just in terms of screen time. Um, right. I feel like you maybe believe at the beginning that it's not going to be him. <laughs> but well, I'll do a synopsis and then we'll talk about that a little bit more. Uh, but there's kind of a, you know, a moment that happens relatively early on where it's just like, oh, this is a different movie than I thought it was going to be. All right. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I I think that it's a... Uh, I mean, it's clearly very well written and, you know, it's Todd Field's first feature uh, film that he directed. Um, I understand that he got some advice on the script from Stanley Kubrick while they were filming Eyes Wide Shut as uh, Todd Field played Nick Nightingale, the piano player. I (laughs) I love that. Um, And uh, yeah, and. Oh, and I I was going to say working working here with the cousin of the star of Eyes yeah. Wide Shut, uh, Tom. I Tom know, Kruz. and we have William Mapother. William Mapother. 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 Is that how you say it? I don't Mapother? know. I was I just kind of like known. flipped a coin and and decided to emphasize that syllable, and I don't okay. know if I'm right. I've never heard anybody say it out loud, so. There it's we Mapothe, go. Uh, yeah, it which is actually be. Tom Cruise's so, last name, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think that uh, it's just it's such a strong movie. Uh, just kind of going back to Todd Field a little bit, you know, it's he he hasn't directed very many films, but I feel like the films that he's directed, like they're very intentional. Most recently, Tar. Did you ever see Tar? No, I did not. I have not seen this. My movie watching just for for our audience's information. So my ability to like just time and schedule wise to sit down and watch a movie beginning to end is it's very limited. So often if there's a movie that I know I'm going to want to watch beginning, middle and end. I'm not going to watch it like on my phone while I'm doing uh-huh. other things. I'll I'll put it aside and I could just tell that that, that Tar and Kate Blanchett's performance I I just I got the feeling that that wasn't something like that was something like if I'm going to watch it I'm going to watch it, you know. 
Uh, well, yeah, I mean, especially for the the scenes with music in it, you definitely want to be kind of immersed in it. Um, it is. I, I I loved Tar. I thought it was great. Uh, one movie that he directed that I know we've talked about before is Little Children, mm-hmm. um, adapted from Tom Perotta's book. Um, that I I mean I feel like you and I probably are more likely to um watch a movie that's uh adapted from a tom parada book you know he's from the town next to where we grew up right so uh, a lot of it feels just very familiar right um, right and and little children it's not one that you want to say oh that's like where i grew up <laughs> but no no you know, setting setting wise it's set it certainly evokes like oh yeah i could see you know that and, and having read the book which you've read have you read I, little children i i have yes yes yeah yeah so uh and i feel like the movie is uh pretty faithful um which is an odd interesting choice of words i'm realizing now oh but yeah. a faithful yeah. representation of of the uh of the setting if i and remember correctly I think that, yeah that was i mean mm-hmm. it's been yeah. a long time well there's yeah i mean like I feel like the the feeling of like the public pools and yeah. just the neighborhood in general and the playgrounds. It's just like I I know that those exist most places in this country, but it just felt very I don't know uh, a little familiar to to me as I was reading it and watching the movie. Oh, um, reading but in the bedroom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, in, yeah. In the bedroom, I thought it was it was great. I mean, uh, Todd Field is from. Portland, Oregon, where I live now, uh, and is is not from Maine, but uh, it seems like he has a good grasp. Like I, it's it's interesting that he chose to. I mean, this was in a, a book that he adapted, but it's you know keeping it like set in Maine. Actually, I don't even know if the book was set in Maine. I think it was called Killings. It was called Killings. It was a short story, and it was funny. I was yeah. I was doing some research on it before, but neglected to. Uh, look up where it was set but actually learning uh, yeah. a little bit about the author Andre Debuse was mm-hmm. very informative regarding this just like understanding where this story came from oh okay well tell me I, I didn't do any uh, reading on this uh so Andre Debuse was a uh, was it was an author, uh, you know, 20th century author who I- experienced a lot of uh, tragedy and trauma mm. in in his life. Oh, it looks like it takes place in Boston. So or um, Massachusetts. Uh, I'm actually looking at I'm looking at uh, something on a, a summary here, and it looks like there's uh, it takes place partly in Baltimore and in Syracuse. I mean, the summary I'm looking up says a town in Massachusetts. And I'm just going to actually look at the story. Well, it's interesting then that uh, Field chose to change the location to a place that, I mean, I don't know if he has any personal connection to Maine that we wouldn't know about from like reading, I don't know, Wikipedia. But I think that it seems like he really captures a a really cool part of this country, and it seems to make a lot of sense that this would be there. And you know, changing the name to "In the Bedroom," which of course has like a lot of different meanings, 
which we are told kind of the more literal meaning uh, in the beginning about lobster traps having a section called the bedroom mm-hmm. uh, in which you cannot have more than was it more than one or more than two lobsters or else they start to uh kill each other right yeah i think i think it was more than two yeah two's company three's a crowd so i really enjoyed uh watching it for the first time kind of going in cold not knowing what to expect and uh really being uh surprised which you know when you're watching a movie from uh, almost 25 years ago (laughs) it's you know it's not that easy to i don't know get find yourself being surprised right yeah especially a movie that you know this one just kind of i mean it came out at a time i was just starting college it's uh you know, a, a big drama. It's not one that really would have been on my must-see radar at that time. This was the indie darling that you're this like in the the cat in like awards season. I remember this being that I, I think like this and Monsters Ball. Monsters Ball was the same well, year. This was the year of A Beautiful Mind and right. Training Day, which we talked about uh, on our last episode. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Beautiful Mind, that uh, you know, that was winning. A lot but of that was, that you know, year. all the, the that was the like that Moulin Rouge. Those were all the big like studio. Oh, yeah. It was that year. So in the bedroom was the, the indie, the little indie that could in in 2001 because it, it was nominated for Best Picture and best at least yeah. best actor actress supporting actress screenplay and and it you know it did really well in the box office it did it did well in theaters uh which i think is surprising for a movie like this why don't i give a little synopsis yeah. uh, rather yeah. than dancing around uh you know a lot of the plot. Uh, synopsis so we can talk about this movie <laughs> In the quaint coastal town of Camden, Maine, college-aged Frank Fowler has begun an exciting relationship with Natalie, a mother of two young boys who is separated from her abusive husband, Richard. Frank's parents are of two minds. His mother, Ruth, sees Natalie as a distraction for Frank, while her husband, Matt, a respected local doctor, gives his son a bit of leeway. But after a rather alarming incident at Natalie's house, Frank tries to dissuade Richard from entering and causing more trouble especially in front of Richard's two children. But Richard has a different plan. He shoots Frank dead in a jealous rage. Richard, whose family's seafood business employs half of the town, could potentially get away with a slap on the wrist, or even 15 years in prison at most. But since he's out on bail awaiting trial, his presence around town haunts Ruth and Matt, who are facing marital troubles stemming from their responses to their son's death. After they finally confront one another and blame each other for the elements each one could have contributed to Frank's demise, they take a step back and come to an unspoken agreement about what needs to happen. Matt needs to kill Richard, leaving evidence that he jumped bail and disappeared. So, Sissy Spacek plays Ruth, Matt's wife. Matt is Tom Wilkinson. Uh, Their son, Frank, is played by Nick Stahl, who I think is fantastic. And kind of looks like a great combination of the two of them. He does. I thought that it was great casting. Fantastic Um, Marissa Tomei is Natalie. Uh, The aforementioned William Mapather is Richard. Uh, Celia Weston, who you've Mm -hmm. seen in everything, is is in there. And Karen Allen has a, uh, a brief appearance. And uh, it's always jarring for me to see her in a non-Indiana Jones movie. 
Isn't it great though when Karen Allen bobs up and you? I love Karen Allen. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, Karen Allen's here. Cool. It's. I mean, like it is in my notes. Like Karen Allen exclamation mark. Just because I need. I know this is noteworthy. She's she's so awesome. Love Karen Allen. Yeah. So I was going into it, think expecting to see a lot more of Nick Stahl, and then that didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, And I thought that he was great. He he was. I'm I'm curious. Like so, just going into this movie, based on whatever you knew, like I knew what, nothing. I knew nothing. What were your expectations? Did you like what? Like at the very least, what did you expect? Just just a drama. I expected that it would be some sort of family drama. I uh, given the cast, um. I did. I didn't know what to expect, and I just went in completely blind. I was so happy that I did. So, uh, so I take it that like that the the turns, the twists and turns that it takes, you appreciated them, and, and uh, but totally. I do. I do as well. Oh, I and I'm I, I'm saying this. Uh, so I was reading uh, an article that uh, was in the Guardian. Uh, actually, I think it was like the a review. It wasn't like right when it came out, but it was not long after it came out. And in it, they're they're critical of the shift of when they oh, call really? it. They call it a shift into like standard thriller territory when Matt and and their friend ha- like hatch the plot to kill Richard. I yeah. don't agree with that. I. I feel like it comes across like in your synopsis, you, you know, described it as kind of like the natural course of events that like, this is what, this is what, in order for Matt and Ruth to get past this, this is what needs to happen. Yeah. And it speaks to so many uh, watching this. So, I mean, I saw this back in the day. I didn't see it in the theater, but I rented it. I watched it. I, I'm I thought it was great and then I didn't think much about it and like you know after that just you know to occasionally remember like oh yeah that movie but watching <laughs> it 20 something years later I I feel like I saw a lot more in it and I felt that there were it it has this kind of like a base of formula there's there's a formula there's like a formulaic base to it like where richard is the like the privileged son of the the family that uh, that employs half the town who you don't even see them they're not no the strouts other than than richard you don't you don't see them but you're kind of like like their shadow is cast upon the entire town right and the region really right and that's kind of like a I don't want to say a cliche, but it's typical of a lot of dramas in that take place in communities that are really supported by one industry, not just one industry, but like one business. So sure to see how so watching that and seeing how like, you know, right away that like Richard is not justice is not going to be served. Yeah, because of, of well, also, yeah. I was just saying because of the sway because that of the what? family has in in the town. But sure. Go ahead. Well, what I really appreciate is that both Matt and Ruth 
they are, you know, Matt is a, I guess, a, uh, a hobbyist when it comes to lobster fishing. He doesn't seem to do it for any commercial purposes, but he enjoys doing it. I think that there's something in there about his family, like his father used to do it. But he is a doctor and Ruth is a a music teacher, like a high school music mm-hmm. or choral teacher she's lydia tar without all of the without all the drama uh from that with that movie that different uh, drama different kind of drama exactly and they are two people who are you know perhaps more they're like college educated they have chosen different professions that are not like blue collar work that are indicative of the region you know, uh, Matt is like the town doctor. Uh, if I had to compare it to uh, Cabot Cove and Murder, She Wrote, he's Seth Hazlitt. He's the town doctor. There's only one, really, and everybody knows him. With the and wife who changed when uh, <laughs> uh, Yeah, right. Uh, no, uh, unfortunately... Oh, wait a second. I think that Seth Hazlitt's wife's name was Ruth. I need to look that up. But... <laughs> we don't know if she chain smoked because she had passed away because uh, she passed away before Murder Sure takes place. Okay, but was it because of a smoking related? In the, so in the prequel, okay, like Seth Murder Hazlitt, She brainstormed, we might like she'll be in there. But Seth Hazlitt wife <laughs> Ruth. Her name is Ruth. I I wonder if they made the character's name Ruth. I think if you're a New England doctor, that's part of the thing. Like you, you, you have to be married to somebody named Ruth. Yes. Ooh, uh, this is interesting. I mean, this movie is a murder she wrote plot. It takes place in what would be Cabot Cove if Cabot Cove was a real place. It has to do like there's a complicated, you know, murder plot. They're they're just lucky that there isn't a mystery writer character in this story that oh. hobbies like you know helping the local police. Uh, uh, we know where John's headed at the end of this episode. <laughs> oh, I wasn't before, but I am now. I, I mean, it's a great idea, but no, we, we'll we'll get there. Can I, I wanted to speak to your point though about about that yeah. and just I I know about like, the doctor's wife's name being named Ruth. No, I'm going to skip past that, (laughs) but I'm going to reference, and I know a little later on we'll hear Eric talking about the, you know, the the town of Camden, the community of of Camden. Sure. The real, the the, actual, there's a real town, Camden. Yes. Which, and he talks about the, you know, demographics of that, of that town and that there's, there's this definite, like, there's the blue collar community part of the community and there's the white collar part yeah. of the community and this movie really plays with that because you have Matt who's the town doctor but he lo- he he likes going out there and getting dirty and getting getting his little yeah. finger well, snipped boy by does the- he ever get dirty oh well in yes indeed well yeah and that's i mean that that carries on this theme of you have these people who like it's kind of this is the path that they've chosen or this is whatever their destiny was but there's this other thing on the side that has them tempted and it's the and with Frank it's the same because Frank is going to uh, going to college he's studying architecture 
But he also has this idea where he wants to start his own, what, like, fishing out outfit. So, yeah, and I, I feel like this is such a great moment to talk about, you know, his mother, who really seems to be pressuring him to become more of an academic. And, uh, and to get out of Camden. <laughs> and to get out of Camden. But he clearly doesn't see that life for himself. Uh, instead, he, you know, even if he doesn't say so at times, it's like, he has met this woman, Natalie. He says it's like just a summer thing, but like, you know, you don't get together with a woman who has two young kids and like get involved in their lives. And then just to know that it's going to be done in two months, like he's trying to, you know, he's doing, he's making these moves that just kind of cement him into this town, even though his mom is just like, please don't do this. Please like get out. Well, right. And and he's it's part of this desire to show his independence. And we we talk. I mean, l- later on in the film, you really get, you know, during when when Matt and Ruth just kind of say everything that they've been thinking and feeling. <sighs> and you learn what that a scene in their bedroom that that Ruth was a overbearing and controlling mother so Frank trying to, you know, gain this independence and show that he like that he's a, a big boy. And there's something that's really <laughs> exciting about. Yeah. And, and when and it's like when you're when you see yourself in that. In that role and. Like when you're young and it's like, oh, this is exciting, and and it's the, uh-huh. the fact that she's older, but that also right. like her kids look up to him, and he really gets along with the kids, and she like that she is relying on him. Hmm. And and it's like you know I've I mean I've not had this experience, but similar back in my twenties, you know, like we're talking over twenty years ago now. But uh-huh. having had a like an experience where I was I was young and I was dating someone who was not older than me, but who uh-huh. had a child and that mm. like just kind of like getting it and being like, oh, wow, oh, this is exciting. And on oh, it's great. And I'm part of this. So uh-huh. and I could see that and I could see that in in Frank and the way that he talks about it and really tries to play that, that father figure for, uh, for Natalie's kids, for Natalie and Richard's kids. Yeah. But won't admit to it to his parents. Well, right. Because, well, because also like there, but I also got the sense like when he's talking about architecture and he's talking, he's got like that phone interview that gets, uh, tragically, uh, interrupted by call waiting there's uh-huh. uh he he does sound genuinely passionate about architecture right. so so it's kind of like with matt where like he's chosen one path but he's really tempted by the other and at, at times just like with matt you can't tell if he's happy with the decisions he's made in his life right with frank you see him at this crossroads where it's like two, like, like one of 
two things that are equally appealing and the fact that Ruth supports one more than the other yeah. is probably clouding his judgment. Yeah. And this is all just in the first, you know, 30 minutes or so of the movie. And then after that, it's, you know, comes to an abrupt end when he is shot and killed. And then it's like we were dealing with the uh, the feelings that come from you know, not knowing what would have happened with his life, you know, from his parents' perspective, it's like he maybe would have been doing this or maybe would have been doing that, but we'll never know because this is where things were at that moment. And all of the, like you were talking about that scene where they just let everything out, every single feeling. And, uh, it's, it's you know it's a pressure cooker and that was just the moment where it just blew it's a lobster pot uh, yeah it's a lobster pot yeah it's i don't know um i this movie just really worked for me and i absolutely loved the tension that came during the entire sequence with matt and richard when he uh, you're pointing your finger in the air I am well no because I, I when you're when you're done I wanna I I wanted because I actually there's an observation I had about that scene that okay. connects back to everything else we've been talking about but I don't want to interrupt you sure your so well there. anyway it's this it's this very clearly well considered uh, kidnapping of Richard um, where. You know, Matt finds him, you know, he he finds out where he's been working by his buddy and he goes there and he, you know, he's got his gloves on and he's saying, you're going to uh, drive me to your place. And everything that happens there, you know, every word that is said is extremely impactful, you know, getting his luggage, but then everything that Richard says just about like, well, you know, he was sleeping with my wife. And uh, the entire time, he's also calling him Dr. Fowler. So he's speaking to him with the respect that comes with like, you know, yes, I am the person responsible for your son's death, but I am justified in doing so. But also, you know, I have I have been raised by, you know, I'm in this family that is so influential in this town and you are on the other side of things. I'm the, you know, the representative of the family for the blue collar, you know, royalty of this town. And here you are, the town doctor. You know, you have this other kind of prestige in this town. And the dynamics between the two of them are pretty fascinating. And when uh, Matt sees the the photograph of Natalie with Richard from their wedding or early on in their relationship where they're so in love with each other, you know, that rattles him. And like every single beat that happens in this entire sequence, him placing down the, you know, the Amtrak brochure, the the ticket sleeve or whatever. And, um, and even after he, performs the killing after he kills him and they get rid of the body uh you know going back into town and uh, seeing the guy that has to rotate the giant wheel to make the bridge turn so that boats can go through uh which is awesome i love that i yeah there's this guy whose job it is to rotate the part of the bridge so boats can get through and he has to 
run around in a circle with this giant wheel and it's uh the the tension that happens the amount of time it takes for him to do that you just feel it as you know you're just watching matt just like in this extremely like one of the most intense moments of his life well especially as they're on their way back and they're trying to like you know get away with the perfect crime here but going back going back to the scene when they're when they're in richard's house Oh, and actually, I want to go back a little bit before that, because speaking again to this kind of like uh, this division between the blue collar and the white collar, it's even this guy who uh, Matt corners at this bar, this guy that yeah. like worked it works at the cannery, like he even says to him, he's like, yeah, it's funny running into you here. There's also one thing that Richard says where it's just like, this guy just cannot help himself. When Matt asks him, uh, "Are you alone at your uh, at your house? Is there anybody else living at your house? Are you alone at your house?" and he goes, uh, "Tonight I am." And it's just like, "You fucking idiot!" Well, like, okay, just because he can't help himself because it's insinuating that other nights he isn't alone, right? But and here's so uh, thinking back about it, uh, something that they include, something that's included, a little scene that I, I feel takes a little something away. It. Ooh. All right. So when they're at Richard's house and Matt's walking him uh-huh. through, Matt is seeing that Richard has on the wall all of like his the drawings that his kids made, the kids artwork. Yeah. What I'm reading from this is Matt's like, oh, I had the idea that he was this shitty, like deadbeat yeah. dad, and it's like, okay, he cares about his kids, and then he sees that yeah. picture, and it's like he has affection for Natalie. And what I read this time was, is Matt looking at that picture thinking like, does Natalie still have affection for him? And was maybe like, they were all worried about Frank getting too serious about, about like that Natalie, like they just assumed that Natalie was like all in, but it just kind of gave you that bit of doubt of like, well, was Natalie really that into frank was it about like was there a genuine like love between richard and natalie and like no look like richard has problems richard brought a gun and even though we don't we don't see it we don't see exactly what what happens we know that richard's the one who brought the gun and that frank ends up dead Right. And immediately afterwards just sits down at the table. Well, and, yeah. uh, you know, sits at the table the same way you see him the first time when he co- breaks into the house yeah. and he's just sitting there all all chill. He like drinking milk. But but the the I, I, I wanted to just come back to it because the one thing that then made me because I had this moment where it was just like. OK, well, like like Richard's shitty and he's a killer but he's not like the the just like black and white villain that we wrote him off as and that there's some type of of genuine affection and i think that the scene before that where he's hitting on his coworker at the bar right really trying like trying to get to go home with her that it, it 
I'm like, I would have rather had a little more of that doubt in my mind, just a little bit of that uncertainty. But like just seeing that come before it all, I was kind of like that. Oh, no. Yeah, he's full of shit. He doesn't want to get back together with her. (laughs) Like the moment with the photograph and Matt noticing the photograph and also seeing all the children's artwork. I was, yeah, it definitely was one of those moments where it's just like, uh, you know, who is this guy? Like, what exactly are his motives? Is it just about ownership and jealousy? And when you see that, it's like, it makes you question because, yes, you do see him hit on this woman. There are other moments where it's mentioned that he's been with these other women since they, since he and Natalie split up. And uh, it's almost like in his home, it's a denial of the reality that he's actually living in. And clearly the the photograph is from some moment in their past when they were happy. Perhaps it was maybe before he showed his abusive side or, uh, you know, as, you know, we we know what happens with people who are in abusive relationships there there is this you know there are these moments where you have to be performative in front mm-hmm. of a camera so that people don't know what's going on and it's it's hard to know it, because well first of all they're fictional characters it's all set up in one way to be you know to present itself in a certain way but it's hard to to know exactly the the intention that we're supposed to be getting, or if it's the idea of like, this is something that you're going to be thinking about later and talking about on a podcast 25 years later, where it's like, uh, but what, what does it mean about this guy that that's his home setup? You know, those are the pictures he has on the wall. But I, and I, it's something that I like about that. I really like about this movie is that it gives you so many of these things, but doesn't, it doesn't feel the need to overplay its hand and you're allowed to as the audience. And maybe it takes like, you know, seeing it more than more than once or just watching it with a different eye, but no, like recognizing all of these, all of these things and these, and the the metaphors Oh that yeah. Are like it's bordering on too too much the lobsters in the in the bedroom, but it's not sure, like yeah. the, the cut he gets on his finger, which is such a it reminds me so much of the lady Macbeth. You're talking out, about Matt. Damn spot out. Yeah, when Matt gets gets the yeah. cut on his finger. Uh but I love that there are these things about like Richard's home that that I feel are more nuanced and and believable and it's not just so cut and dry black and white well right it's certainly not cut and dry black and white and you know another thought that i had even about the the decoration he has at his home knowing his personality and seeing him in these other moments it's like you know are those kind of tools of manipulation not necessarily Uh for natalie but Maybe it is bringing a woman home and giving the impression of like, oh, he really cares about his kids. And, you know, he was a committed husband in a relationship that just didn't work out. 
You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. I think no with the kids pictures, know, but yeah, yeah. Th- with the kids pictures, that's and uh, yeah, it makes sense with the, the picture with Natalie. I mean, uh, yeah, that's and it also makes sense just knowing his nature. Yeah. I, you know, he is somebody who, uh, you know, something was taken from like, things were taken from him. And, you know, he is the prince of this uh, local royalty. And uh, people can't do that. People can't take things from him. Yeah. Right. You know, when yeah. we first see him, he's, uh, you know, he shows up at Matt and Ruth's house when they're throwing a party for, they're throwing a party for one of the kids. Is it the kid's birthday yeah. party? Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, Matt even gets a swing set for the damn thing. Um, but we see uh, Richard up here and he comes to get the kids and he's just like being told, no, we were supposed to meet later at this place. And it's like he's just there to become a presence to make sure people know that he exists. And uh, I doesn't take it kindly when he's informed that he's wrong and he needs to leave. And, you know, Natalie being uh, somebody who wants to keep the peace as best as possible, especially around so many people, you know, you see her kind of in this moment of like, shit, what do I do? Like, and she knows she's already being, how do I make this not a bad situation? Oh, absolutely. Right. And, and of course this is going to reflect poorly on her, but, uh, Oh geez, I there was something that you said that I made me. Do you want me to say about, everything I said again? Yes, if you could just repeat everything word for word. No, it was about <laughs> Richard Swing and set. oh yeah. So like and also from Richard, the other like and and we just get enough to figure this out. But like that Richard is also kind of like his his glory days were in high school when he was on the baseball team, and he oh, was yeah. like champion baseball player. But now, I mean, what is he, he's working at his like dad's factory. So yeah. that's the other thing that we get about Richard is, and that also kind of falls into a little bit more of the formulaic territory of that, where right. it was like, yeah, he was the he he was the prince, but now what what is the prince doing? And the prince can't you know can't get the bartender, you know, or the, the you know whatever the waitress at the you know the bar to to go home with him and. Yeah, right, yeah. He doesn't have the same swagger that he once had. I mean, he looks just really sleazy. Yes. Well, the bleach blonde yeah. hair and yeah. especially like 2001, like yeah, he he's pretty much like early 2000s douchebag like she. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh so Dan, I think that now would be a good time to uh listen to a little chat that I had with my good buddy Eric Goslin, uh, who is a a, a Maine native, um, who's got some thoughts about films in the area, especially in the bedroom. Eric, thank you so much for joining us again. It's been a while since our Tango and Cash episode came out. So it's been a while. Uh, been a while. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we we needed your expertise. I mean, you were the one that recommended. Uh, a few different main movies for this episode of the podcast. And when we kind of looked at, I mean, I was, it was, for me, it was between this or the good son, mm-hmm. because I feel like, you know, that movie came out, I think when you and I were probably the right age to see a movie about people 
Yeah. Like, you know, a, a kind of kid horror movie. And yeah. it had like our our heroes of the time, Elijah Wood and Macaulay Culkin. So uh, that movie definitely, uh, I don't know, hits home for me in only a few ways. Not in the sense that like uh, a, a brother figure ever tried to kill me. It was traumatizing in a way because was it Macaulay was Culkin, had he already done Home Alone at that point? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, because Home Alone and My was, Girl, I think, and yeah, and like Home Alone was one of my favorite movies at the time. To see him as like a villain, and then hey, spoiler alert for uh, I almost said My Girl, but uh, The Good Son to like fall he falls off a cliff at the end. It's like it's what crazy. you can't kill a kid in a movie. They really went for it. They really went for it. Uh, and since that was filmed in Maine and took place mm-hmm. in Maine. Did you kind of also see that movie as a bit of a like, whoa, this could be happening two towns away? I don't know, like where in Maine you grew up exactly and what yeah, your area was like. But my area was because um, they shot that in Acadia, I think. Um, and that's further north. This movie also uh, in the bedroom is like in Rockland or something. Cam- or Camden, Camden. Camden. Yeah. Uh, it, but a few pl- places around there, too. Yeah. Uh, and where do, and where was it that you grew up? I grew up in Sanford, which is um, so actually, you know, Old Orchard Beach, where he goes to pick up uh, Frank, I guess his name is the the yeah. shitty ex-husband. That oh, was like close no, no, to no. where Frank I is the son. Rich- oh, sorry. Richard? Richard. Richard is the uh, yeah. Yeah. Is the, the dude. OK, so uh, right where he where he's like working and everything. Yeah, that's Got that it. was close to where um, I grew up. It's southern Maine. It's like I grew up basically like 20 minutes from the New Hampshire border. Um, and I was like 15 minutes from the beach, but like my town's sort of like inland, um, and not really fancy like the beach towns. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, to answer your question, like it was always super cool to see Maine because, you know, Stephen yeah. King obviously does sure. a ton of everything's in Maine for the most part. Um, so a lot of his movies take place in Maine. Um, but to see like a non Stephen King thing was like, whoa, cool. Yeah. And when they're actually like shooting in Maine, that was always like huge. Yeah. Are there other main, like big main movies? I think that the 1990s Casper movie was in oh, yeah, Maine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jumanji was shot like a town over from me. Like, the oh, no way. Stuff in Jumanji. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I, you know, since, you know, we, we're growing up in like the nineties. So I'm sure that like at that time you were probably at the right age to be like, Oh, it's fully aware of like Robin Williams. Oh, and yeah. also like, Oh my God, there's a movie shooting nearby. That's pretty exciting stuff. Yeah. It was, uh, and I was, you know, obviously being like a movie kid and being into that. Like I didn't go to the set. My friend's dad got a picture with Robin Williams and I was like very, very jealous Oh wow! Um, but uh, yeah, I was in the. I think there's another like a Denzel Washington movie, um, mm-hmm. The Preacher's Daughter. I want to say okay, shot in like Portland, um, and I, I'm like, my town is like 40 minutes south of Portland, but that's like 40 minutes is not a big deal. <laughs> I was yeah. I was in Portland like every weekend, basically. Sure, so that was really cool. Yeah, and camden where in the bedroom was filmed that's a little bit further like what north northeast kind of yeah as you go along the coast Mm -hmm. yeah yep so i didn't really get up there all that often because i didn't really have much of a reason to but i think we went up there like once my parents also weren't really like big 
travelers like we didn't take uh-huh. a lot of vacations where we like other than to go to like florida to visit my grandparents or something um yeah so i only went up to that area like once or twice um Sure. I mean, I suppose that unless there's a particular reason to go, it doesn't seem like if you already live in Maine, a big destination. You know, I was looking on like Google Maps of the Camden, Maine area, and it's a lot of like B&Bs and little inns and stuff like that. So I'm sure that for people who are, you know, visiting and want to have that like coastal Maine murder, Mm -hmm. Shiro, Cabot Cove experience, that's where you'd want to go. And uh, yes, but if you already live there, it's like, well, why? What's the point? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's yeah. like really pretty coastal rocky shores up there. So it's like, it's yeah. for sure there's a good reason to go up there if you're not, if you're a tourist. Um, and it also seems like even on some of the main, main, the main roads, um, you know, even just in the residential areas, looking at a lot of the houses, it's like, that's a pretty big house. Like it seems yeah. like there are very nice, uh, like well-kept areas over there too. So totally. I don't know. Is that is that more of like a a wealthier area? I think uh, I don't know if it's a wealthier area. I think a lot of the places along the coast, you're going to get a mix of like, um, you know, more blue collar people like the fishermen and stuff Fisher, in the movie. Yeah. Or I mean, a lot of people work in like factories and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. um, and then you also get like the you know the doctors and the more white collar stuff, uh, white collar people who have like the bigger houses, and also you'll have like tourists who just live there for oh not tourists but like people who just live there for the summers, so they have a summer home there, right? Um, which yeah, are usually like, n- nicer than like the people who are from there and live there year round. Yeah. So yeah. in the bedroom came out in two thousand one, so it would have been filming. Did you? I'm I'm trying to think if you and I are like did, what, what year did you graduate from high school? 2001. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Me too. So that would have been like right or filming right around the time that mm-hmm. uh you know you were in your later teens and everything. Uh, mm-hmm. Were you aware that there was this movie that was filming with like Sissy Spacek, uh and uh, and Marissa mm. Tomei anywhere nearby? I know that I- like you know growing up in in suburban new jersey the town that i'm from there we did have a lot of things that filmed there and it was always like if there was anything in our town or the neighboring towns that was like film filming uh it'd be like oh there's a natalie portman movie you know garden mm-hmm. states like, there's a natalie portman movie and she's here and da 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 so i'm just curious to know if that i know that you were a little bit further but yeah but Maine I, doesn't get that kind of action Right. You know, it definitely would have made the news. I don't specifically remember hearing about it, though, though I'm sure it did. Like, it probably was on the news because mm-hmm. usually anytime anything filmed in Maine, there, there was like a news story about it. Um, and I, I was aware of the movie when it came out. I, I don't remember what time of year it came out, but I assume it I was, was in the fall. I think it was November. Oh, OK. So I was in, in college at that point. Yeah, just um, barely. And I remember, I think I saw it in theaters. I was trying to remember this last night. Um, so I think I was aware of it because it was getting like a lot of like buzz. Um, yeah. But I don't remember hearing about it before it came out. Okay. But when it came out, do you feel like the fact that it was a main movie was like especially appealing to you? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like yeah. anything, anytime main gets mentioned in anything, I still, even to this day, I'm like, hey, there it is. <laughs> you have a Google News alert just for the word main. Yeah. <laughs> It's like it's something's happening. Off. It's ruining my life. My phone's <laughs> and I refuse to turn my ringer off because what if an emergency happens? Yeah, or yeah, what if something happens in Maine? Just anything. Yeah, 
exactly. Uh, you know, you you were talking a little bit before about Stephen King, and you know that's like such a iconic main. Uh, I I don't want to call him a content creator because I feel like that lessens him, but since he is a multi hyphenate, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, and is just like a cultural, I don't know, main landmark of a person. Yeah. It, what what was the vibe like around Stephen King's celebrity? in in Maine when you were growing up I mean to me he was the biggest celebrity in the world I was He was the obsessed. president of Maine. He was the president of Maine. Yeah. Um I was obsessed with his books and part of that was because he was from Maine and that you know as a a kid who was like a kind of a book nerd and like an indoor kid um he his books were like offered up to me as like hey the, yeah. he's he's a writer from Maine. Well also he was uh, an author whose books got turned into movies a lot. And so I'm sure that also as a movie kid, it was kind of like coming at you from all sides. Exactly. Yeah. Do you have, do you have a particular favorite book or movie? That's maybe a Stephen King main movie. Yeah. um, hmm, Let me think. Salem's lot takes place pretty close to where I grew up. um, Like kind of outside of Portland. Um, So I, I always, when people are asking me like where like in Stephen King's Maine, where does your town lie? And it's like, it's like 40 minutes South of Salem's lot. I think. Oh. <laughs> um, the stand mentions, I think it's a stand mentions my town by name. And I was like, Holy shit, this is the coolest thing ever. Yeah. It talks um, about your mom. she's the one who released the the plague yeah it's no it's just like not important it's just like and then there was this lady and then anyway (laughs) um so yeah the stand also uh was one of my favorites growing up that was like my first i don't think it was my first stephen king book but it's my first like favorite stephen king book the stand that's a thicky isn't it that's a thicky too yeah that's a real thicky i watched the um the mini series first and there's stuff that takes place in Kennebunkport, I believe. Um, which I also thought was like, Holy shit. Mm. So cool. They're, they're in Kennebunkport. I was looking to see which Stephen King movie adaptations were filmed in Maine. And, you know, I saw thinner was done there. Not one mm-hmm. of the, not one of the more popular ones, but I didn't no. know. I don't know if there were any other ones that were filmed in Maine. Yeah. Um, a lot of, a lot of, uh, they shoot, you know, other, the Pacific Northwest a lot, I think for, for Maine. Um, and even like the stand, uh, not the stand, uh, stand by me, mm, which right. is like, that was in Oregon. Fa- yeah. It was in Oregon. Yeah. They changed yeah. it completely. And I don't even think right. I realized that watching it as a kid. Cause it was like one of my well, favorite movies as a kid. Well, living in, you know, the other Oregon, the West coast, uh, not the other Oregon, the other Portland, the West coast, Portland. I, that's a, a movie that people hear, you know, have a very big fondness for, um, you know, the Goonies one, but yeah. I think that Stand By Me is like, you know, first or second place for most people around here. And there's, you know, everyone is just like, oh, there's this filming location and that one. And um, did you feel like that was uh, maybe robbed from you from, Absolutely. you know, by the Pacific yeah. Northwest? Uh, well, apologies on behalf of my neighbors. This is apocryphal. I don't remember if this is true or not, but I didn't, wasn't it in Oregon because they just kind of got it wrong? Like they, Oh, I don't know. They mistakenly Did, thought they meant Portland, Maine, Portland, Oregon oh, or something like that. I've, I don't know. I haven't looked into I, the I might lore be completely behind wrong it. with that. I, I what a weird like mistake to make that like nobody ever corrected. It was just like, yeah, uh, well, we're here. So <laughs> I mean, I think that 
the you know thinking about stand by me and the locations where it's filmed it looks like it could take place kind of anywhere in the country and i think that might be kind of the totally. point of it is like this could happen anywhere and yeah. watching in the bedroom it's like oh a lot of the landscapes you know once you get out of any sort of like city or you know central town area it looks like it could be most places in the country that's not like an urban area yeah like small just most small towns yeah uh, out in like the, wooded areas yeah i think it's that fisherman stuff the lobsterman stuff that really like the lobster roots yeah. it the lobster oh yeah it's funny i wanted to talk about the um so i rewatched the movie last night uh, i hadn't seen it since it came out i think oh wow um the the main accents in it are pretty funny i think do you feel like they're not quite accurate yeah for the most part i think the only person it's and it comes and goes who kind of gets it right is um Oh gosh, I can blank on her on her her character name. The lady who's like the friend. Who oh, like is, blonde lady. I'm I'm yes. blanking on her name too, but yeah, yeah. She she gets it right a lot of the time, and I looked it up. Really? She's from South Carolina, but then sometimes she doesn't, and it sounds like completely wrong. But there are oh, there's small funny. moments where, um, and I think it didn't. Marissa, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. I would say it didn't seem like anybody was like serving like an over the top New England accent. No, no. Yeah. There's there's a few like Boston accents mm. which is like yeah it's close enough that i get why you would just go you would just do that um but there is a specific down east accent that especially up there on the water mm-hmm. that i was sort of expecting to hear more of but um i think the funniest one for me is marissa tomei because she's just yeah. like straight up she's just doing her you know my cousin Vinny, but with she's like some Marissa dropped Tom- R's. Oh, yeah, I don't think Marissa that she's Vinny. super my cousin Vinny. <laughs> that's yeah, that one's true, a little true. more extreme, uh, <laughs> but just standard Marissa Tomei, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny because we the last episode that we did was the Big Easy. It was our Louisiana episode, and we did the you know 1986 Dennis Quaid, Ellen mm-hmm. Barkin movie, and the accents, the Cajun accents are so over the top, especially from Dennis Quaid, yeah. so wildly over the top. And, you know, a movie like that, it's kind of like a funny, but also, uh, you know, action packed kind of movie. But it's like this very charismatic guy. So for him to have this like extremely over the top accent is very noticeable because he does a lot of talking. I think that mm-hmm. in the in 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 the bedroom, it's so such more like it's an understated kind of a quiet you know, we don't want to talk about our feelings and what's going on in our lives in a real way. I uh, that I, I think that the the subtlety works in its favor. But I suppose somebody who's from the area might be like, "That's not what we sound like." Yeah, and it's not like I wasn't. Cri- I'm not being critical yeah. of the movie because uh, I, I mean, accents are. I can't do accents, um, <clears throat> but it's just like you know, as a local, you, you kind of like. I noticed it in Boston movies too. There's some. There's some Boston actors quote unquote like not mm-hmm. from boston but when they're in a boston movie who just like really like go over the top with it and then some people are like do it pretty well um yeah usually the people from there right uh yeah i watched the departed recently yeah of course, and the yeah. town and uh i also love the fighter there's a lot of boston yeah. movies and it's like how uh, something tells me that this is at the same time very accurate but also not 
accurate at all. I don't know. There's yeah. there's something about it that's like I feel like I'm I'm being told that I need to be noticing this. But there's there's a funny some joke. people I'm sure are very much like this. Oh yeah, they're absolutely in, in all of those movies. There, I think there's like a lot of especially the fighter. I remember feeling pretty accurate. Um, there's a joke in the town, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, where when they're robbing uh, Fenway, one of the security guards is like says his wife's name is Linda. And uh-huh. he's like, is everybody's fucking wife named Linda or something like that? It's like, which is fun, very, very funny and accurate. I I think that not being from there, I don't, I, I couldn't say that I, I knew that Linda was everybody's name, but I yeah, guess there's a lot uh, of Lindas that's, that's in, true. in New England. That's pretty funny. Uh, so I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but you know, we were talking about Stephen King a little bit and uh, on your podcast, Killstreak. Uh, yeah. I know that you did a Stephen King series. So I, uh, you can tell me if I'm if I'm in any way wrong if I'm mischaracterizing Killstreak, but you you go movie by movie in a horror franchise. Mm-hmm. Is that accurate yep. to say? Cool. Yep. Uh, so was there a particular favorite in your Stephen King run? Yeah, or one think. that maybe uh, provoked the one that maybe evoked the 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 most lively discussion between you guys. I think because Mike, I co-hosted with uh, Mike Price, um, and we've been doing it now for like three years, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're usually pretty, uh, it, like we have the same opinion a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the few like really divisive ones was the Salem's Lot miniseries, oh. which I I had never seen. Oh, so you before. even did the miniseries? Yeah, we because cool. we we for the Stephen King block we did like his first like five or six adaptations um, and Steven uh, Salem's lot was in there and I didn't really enjoy it. Cause it's like a, you know, I mean, I think if you watched it growing up, then I can see why you would like it. But uh-huh. like as, as somebody in 20 at the time, 2023 or 2022 watching it, it's like, God, this is kind of a slog. Well, that in, was early '90s, mid '90s. No, it was like the late '70s. Oh, like that was in the '70s. 80s. Oh, maybe yeah, I'm like thinking Fred, of a different Fred Willard's one. in it. Oh, I'm thinking of uh, maybe I'm thinking of the the was it the Shining mini? Yeah, it was Stephen Weber. Stephen Weber. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, I, that's what I was thinking of. Sorry. Yeah. So wait, who's in the Salem's Lot one? Uh, Fred Willard is. Oh no way! Um, and uh, some other like you know, actors of the time, but I didn't really like that one very much. And, and he, yeah. he, you know, it's an old favorite for a lot of people. Um, but we also did maximum more overdrive, overdrive. Good. I was going to ask that. Movie about is that. awesome. <laughs> like I, it's I, not I've good, actually never seen it. It's so much fun. It's so I mean, wild and crazy. I, I mean, uh, do you think that as somebody who's never tried cocaine, I would appreciate it. I mean, I've never tried cocaine either and, and I enjoyed it. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so I think I think it's like that's just, the barometer go, for that movie, right? Yeah, <laughs> don't go in there expecting like a good movie, but you'll have an experience. Hey, it's all subjective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, cool. So what what is the series that you guys are doing now? Um, what's coming well, up? We have a VHS, the um, anthology oh. movies. Yeah, we'll be doing. I've those never next. seen any of those. I've seen a handful of them. They're pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that'll be fun because it'll be like watching like four movies a week. <laughs> wasn't Mini- wasn't somebody who was involved with the first one kind of like a big name now? Yeah, I think Adam Wingard maybe is is in it, uh, who did something with it. Um, Joe Swanberg 
isn't the maybe first... it's Joe Swanberg that I'm thinking of. Yeah, it's Joe Swanberg yeah. that I'm thinking of because I was like, I his work is so different from so different that kind of a movie. You know, he does this like mumblecore kind of thing, and that's like. Yeah. And then when I saw that he did VHS, I was like, really? Okay, yeah. all right. We're all allowed to have you know multitudes and create works of different genres. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. Usually <laughs> he does. He does very like thoughtful you know usually sexually frank um yeah yes 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 yeah and then this one that one kind of is um but it's interesting when they like i like i like when non-horror people do like a horror movie to see what that's like yeah totally no i think that's really cool and i i we may have talked about this no i guess it would have been a lot too long ago to talk about this then but uh you were a producer on the netflix series wrestlers which yes, has yeah. been just absolutely uh, blowing everybody's minds. And oh, I just want to impart to our audience that you need to check it out if you haven't already on Netflix. Uh, did you know when you were making it that it was going to be one that people took note of? Um, I, honestly, yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> which uh, Because we, as we were making it, we were all like, holy shit, this is not that we always expect what we do to be good, but we're like, yeah, this is really good. Like, There's this- some great people. I mean, it's, I don't want to call them characters, although they kind of play characters. They're characters. Yeah. Yeah. But they, there's, they're perfect for this type of story. And, mm-hmm. uh, I was thinking about it a lot while I was watching the iron claw because oh, it yeah, also, Oh yeah. Well, you know, a lot of it centers around a, kind of like a breeding ground for professional wrestling, like the the higher levels of professional wrestling uh, back in the 80s and, mm-hmm. and 70s and 80s. And it's like, oh, that is what this is. And it's all talking about like, oh, you know, we this isn't making enough money and we need to figure out ways to generate more revenue. And of course, there wasn't live streaming at the time, so they yeah. couldn't have done things like that. But um, yeah, there was a lot that happened in wrestlers that, uh, you know, felt very relevant while watching this, you know, award season juggernaut contender. Although yeah. wrestlers in for television is, is also quite a juggernaut. I know that I've uh, seen it on different ballots. Yeah, I hope I hope it uh, it it was nominated for an Independent Spirit Award, um, mm-hmm. and hopefully more coming up. And yeah, for people who don't know, it's it's a documentary series um, by uh, director Greg Whiteley, who did Cheer and Last Chance You, um, which I've worked on some of those as well. And um, it's about a small wrestling company in Louisville, Kentucky, called Ohio Valley Wrestling that used to be a feeder for the WWE sort of like a developmental territory for them and people like John Cena and Brock Lesnar um a bunch of others came from there Dave Batista and recently they've fallen on hard times and had to take on new ownership um and the new owner clashes with Al Snow who's like this an attitude era wrestler um and a really highly respected um you know, Booker, I guess they call him in, mm-hmm. in, in wrestling nowadays. And um, <clears throat> so it's about this company that has to stay afloat for the summer, uh, how they do that. It's about the clash between the two owners. And it's also more so about the wrestlers and, and people yeah. pursuing their dream in like a creative field. And it doesn't have to be wrestling. Even if you don't like wrestling, I still, my mom doesn't like wrestling. She loved it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm not a, a big 
pro wrestling fan, but it's not really about that. It's yeah, exactly. it's about a struggling business. It's about family dynamics, and mm-hmm. it's about people who are trying to you know figure out their their second you know attempts at life. Really, mm-hmm. you know, it's, yeah. it's 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 really kind of a, a beautiful story, and I love the way that a lot of the interviews are set up, just visually, and mm-hmm. it's a really engaging watch. And I. I'm sure that there there have already been results of this, but I hope that the the show, uh, you know, helped the business and the and the wrestlers themselves. Oh, yeah. yeah, it absolutely has. Um, they've been selling out left and right now. Their shows, That's awesome. um, getting some big names down there. I think like Mick Foley, Mankind. Oh, cool. Is cr- currently, like doing some stuff down there. Um, it's and it's and they got new, uh, you know, more investors now. So, you know. Watch the show, obviously find yeah. out, but it, it's really impacted them, which is at the end of the day, like that is one of the coolest things as like a documentarian to see in real time, like how the thing that you worked on actually yeah. changed, changed some of the lives of the people that you're talking about, that, that you're making the show on. So that's been really, really cool to see. That's, that's great. I love it. Well, Eric, thank you so much. I've taken up way more of your time than I told you I was oh. going to. So no uh, this has been a treat. And hopefully we'll get you on for uh, a full episode again soon. We're doing yeah. a, an episode for every U.S. state. So if there's uh, anything coming up where you feel like you've got a uh, an angle and want some insight. And yeah, want yeah, to, yeah. yeah want, to, want to pop on, then we'd love to have <laughs> you. But uh, until then, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Dan, I always love hearing from Eric. I hope yes. that we can have him on the show again soon. I For real, mean, like in a in conversation. It would be great. I was sorry I, I had to miss out on that conversation. Uh, it, it, there were definitely, and having uh, caught up on it, there were definitely some aspects that he brought up that I'm I'm glad he brought up because I'm like, okay, that's what I was wondering about. Such as the accents, because I feel like, yeah. you know, like by and large, they don't go heavy on the accents in this. Like you guys talked yeah. about, like, you know, versus other New England movies. And I was glad he mentioned Marissa Tomei's accent, which I call the Tomein accent, which is, oh, okay. yes, it, it is about 25% Maine, 50% Brooklyn and yeah. then there's just another 25% that's I did not I, I agreed with you. I don't think she went full Mona Lisa Vito Brooklyn, yeah. but there were a few things that she said where I was just like that was that was more New York-y than New Englandy. But uh I and I I I'm glad verification because I felt too that Celia Weston when she was talking, I was like, that sounds authentic. Me having uh-huh. no credibility whatsoever to determine that, it made me feel uh, it, uh, v- validated that Eric also felt that Celia West. And she's from South Carolina. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But she did, she so did she's her just, homework. She just nailed it. She, she did just, her homework. She did her homework. Come on. No Academy Award <laughs> nomination for Celia Weston. For her masterful no, accent she's, They bring her in to just be exactly what they need her to be. She goes yeah. in, she clocks out, and she goes home. Mm-hmm. She's the supportive yeah. friend who puts her foot in her mouth. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the, the Celia Weston. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. So, but yeah. anyway, um, yeah, and that's really cool. I I don't think I realized that Jumanji. Yeah, I didn't know that. There. So that's cool. Uh, and also, yeah, the large number of Stephen King. And it's funny because I never really thought much about Stand by Me. Oh, Stand by Me. Yeah, that was that one surprised me. I didn't even realize that at all. Because, you know, here in Portland and just in the greater Oregon, you know, like Stand By Me is just like so beloved as being one of our movies. And it's like, oh, yeah, it shouldn't have been. I think I always assumed it took place in in New England. Though My justification for that was because of like the Yankees cap that jump. But like also, why not a Boston well, Red but Sox? Nobody. Cap? <laughs> But nobody in New England would be wearing a Yankees cap. I'll tell you right, that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. I know. I know. Yeah. I, I, I also stand by me. Is such a good movie. It doesn't matter. Like like you guys were saying, it's kind of like once you yeah. get out of the metropolitan areas, generally speaking, I mean, it you know, it depends like anywhere, in, like some places you'll, you'll have more mountains in the background and some places will be flatter. Yeah. But generally speaking, uh, yeah. Also, the sense of that in ma- of a community where people h- keep a lot to themselves and and mm-hmm. don't, which I feel like that tends to be typical more of like c- like cold weather communities. Although, then again, I'm also uh-huh. I'm thinking about like May December, where there's kind of a similar. Like a lot goes unspoken, and that is set in Georgia. I think yeah, Savannah it was in Georgia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just feels it feels right. It feels like right for these characters to to be sure. this way, and and for them to absolutely live in Maine and and the the that brief summer and the fact that it takes place during that brief summer where. Yeah. Uh, there's just that, like when, when you're, when you're in a place that isn't warm for most of the year and, uh, you know, especially in the, in the winter months can get very, very snowy, very rainy, very gray. Those summers are really magical. So I living in Seattle, you live in Seattle. (laughs) I live in Portland. We both know exactly how it is here in Portland. We're just, we're uh you know just had a snowstorm i my pipes are still frozen it's yeah it's uh an upsetting time of year but then in the summer the you know everything comes to life right yeah so and that's that's part of the excitement of this movie and it even lends itself to the ending like in the winter months you would not be able to dig into the ground to bury a body right so easily yeah yeah, that's I, I'm tr- I, I'm trying to think if I have anything else to say about in the bedroom other than just it was also it felt really good to watch, uh, not just a movie that Tom Wilkinson is in, but a movie that really spotlights him as just an actor yeah. who has Spotlight, been s- another New England movie. Sp- oh, indeed, indeed, Boston. Uh, Spotlight. Yeah, I don't think they. I don't remember them going too heavy on the accents in that one. Michael Keaton, I think had a pretty decent accent in that one yeah i think i was focused on other things in that movie (laughs) there were a lot of other things to focus on great movie 
Uh, well, you know, Dan, there's something that I did want to ask you about coming off of that conversation with Eric, and uh, that is about, you know, the excitement about a major motion picture being filmed in your hometown. And, uh, you know, we grew up just outside of New York City, and certainly there were a lot of productions that uh, came to our hometown, um, be it television with The Adventures of Pete and Pete or a number of different movies uh, that that come through town. And I'm wondering if there was anything that you remember being a significant movie that uh, was filming around town. I feel like that didn't pick up really until after you were already out of high school. Yeah, no, no. Well, Pete and Pete was like my freshman year of college, I think, was that. And that was the first like really... I, I think significant thing. I'm sure other things maybe. Oh, it in. took over the town. It was huge. Right. But the, the kind of the, the Cranford, New Jersey, uh, you know, on location boom didn't really kick into gear until the right. aughts when you had like, you had far from heaven. That far from shot heaven a few was sequences. a big one. Guess who with Bernie Guess Mac who? and Ashton Kutcher was a big one because yeah. it was actually set like they called it Cranford. Yeah. Zoe Saldana. Yeah. It was oh okay, yeah, that's who it was. Yeah. Yeah, cuz then they wouldn't have to cover up any signage or anything. <laughs> yeah, uh and then of course Garden State. Right. Yeah, Garden State, which uh you know Zach Braff being from Maplewood, New Jersey, which is not far. Yeah. So So I know that they, there were some things that were shot in our hometown and around the the neighboring towns. Oh, yeah, definitely. The The series Ed was filmed in Westfield, which was the town went over yeah. where Tom Parada is from and where Charles, we talked about oh, it in the Adams Family Tom Parada, I think, is from Garwood. Oh, oh yes. He, yes, yeah. he is. Just because it's so rare that you yeah. hear. Garwood is one, Garwood is a smaller town. Okay, if, if, if Cranford is the, uh, the legs and uh, Westfield is the torso. Garwood is the belt that just kind of goes along the waistline. I always described Garwood as existing to supply groceries and fast food to Westfield and Cranford. Yeah, pretty much. Yes. Clark supplied the same plus a healthy dose of racism. Clark, New Jersey Ooh. was the the home. Uh, if, yes, I believe for for quite some time the home to the like northernmost uh, clavern of of the clan. Uh, oh, yeah. really? No, there, there's a, there's a long a, lo- a long history of, and not just like urban legend, but like you know documented. Like Clark has had some you know more racial problems than the surrounding towns but also but on the but on the plus side but on the plus side clark bagels makes a really good bagel clark bagels is amazing so yeah yeah we'll we'll leave it i mean yes there are great things about about clark just like the police department and racism are not two of them so so right but you know going back to the the original question I uh, is there oh, yeah. a particular movie <laughs> or production that uh that maybe not necessarily that you remember being filmed but like maybe that you're proud that was you know filmed there um okay so well first of all I'll tell the story about how when I was substitute teaching at Westfield High School and they were shooting an episode of Ed I managed to get myself oh. into the background of of <laughs> an episode 
And I think with like Justin Long was on that show, I think, right? Am I, if I was remember he, correctly. Was he, that was like early Justin Long. Yeah, so like, Michael Ian Black was on it and Tom, uh, I'm blanking on his name, the main character. Tom Cavanaugh. Tom, Tom Cavanaugh. Tom Cavanaugh. Yeah. 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 So uh, Justin, uh, and I I think I, I, ch- I chatted with Justin Long, but I didn't know oh. who he was at, at that point just other than that he was on he was like get out of here you're such a pc <laughs> anyway uh, uh yeah so yeah that, I, that, so there's that i don't think I, that I watched ed but yeah in terms of 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 pride i mean of things filmed there, and and also a lot of things have been filmed there recently there was a uh um, the bros was had a scene filmed there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they had a a scene where it was doubling for someplace else. Right. Yeah. And uh, the there's uh Anne Hathaway and I think Je- uh, Jessica Chastain movie that that was filmed in Cranford not oh, too really? long ago. Uh, that's that's coming out at some point. But oh, uh, you know I, what. Could they? Uh, sorry for for bros. Yeah. Uh, Cranford was doubling for Provincetown. I was gonna. So I, it was I for like a pride parade. In I, I totally. I didn't want to yeah. make. The, I didn't want to just make the assumption. No, it was, but, and I, yeah. I, I saw bros in the theater. I was, I was kind of like a, oh, there it is, and then it was like two seconds. Right. Yeah. Um. But I. Yeah. I think Far from Heaven was probably. I, like just being I mean, if we're a, talking about Julianne Moore, you know, well, like people Julianne Moore, we, Todd so, Haynes, <laughs> Todd Haynes. Yeah. People who are kind of big on our, our the tops of our lists of like the juggernauts for for us, at least. Right. Yeah, that's and, pretty big. and like, I, like, I remember going to see it and be like, oh, yeah, that's where that like they're doing that by Cafe Rock. Uh, yeah. Like, like, oh, they oh, they forgot to paint over the New Jersey Transit sign on the bridge. <laughs> Yeah, details. But, but like, yeah, but just like being a, a a fan of both Todd Haynes and Julianne Moore, and just knowing like they filmed in our little town. Totally. Yeah, it was great. Too. What's what's your? I mean, I what what are your what are your memories? Okay, and- so I mean, I think that the Adventures of Pete and Pete is just the the pinnacle of like you know how cool, especially for somebody you know I'm forty and. When I was uh, 12 or 13, you know, that's when I was the same age as Little Pete. And the third season, it it moved from, I want to say, West Orange. And it moved to Cranford as being like the the main, uh, I think Wellsville was the name of the town in The Adventures of Pete and Pete. And because that show was like one of my favorites and our brother Scott, it was like we watched it all the time. And for that show, just to like, oh, their town is our town. And, uh, you know, Scott and I were background actors on one episode, and we just had this amazing day filming with the cast of Pete and Pete in its third season. And it was awesome. Our episode was with Adam West. Uh So Adam West was in our episode. But like... Iggy Pop is in town and Michael's I, wasn't Michael you know, Stipe Luscious in Jackson one of the episodes? Michael Stipe was in I think a f- maybe 
Was he at like least ice, one episode? Is he the ice cream man or is that Iggy he was Pop? the ice cream guy? Yeah, he was the ice cream guy. No, yeah. Iggy Pop plays uh, the one of the one of the main characters' uh, father. Uh, okay, Pop. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Iggy Pop, uh, Luscious Jackson, like played at my elementary school. And uh, that was like across if the street If you're a 90s kid, house. you get why that's a big yeah, deal. That means something to you. Um, Baby Newworth was in it. Like, these are people who oh, are just like geez. in our town. And I mean, had I been such a big Frasier head at the time, first of all, I would be the one that needs therapy. But also, <laughs> you know, what a what a cool person to just be uh, bopping around. Oh, yeah. Just speaking so speaking of and like the other like not that anything filmed there, but I remember there was a period it was maybe like a few years where Anthony Edwards lived in oh. Cranford then- and Kiefer Sutherland like came to stay with him for the weekend and was at the the Riverside Inn, which is like. Among so, among my generation, like my friends who went to high school and still live in the area, like that's where they. So like all of the kids, I like guys I went to high school with were like drinking with Kiefer Sutherland. So <laughs> the cool. whole Anthony Edwards thing, that was always kind of like, it was an unproven rumor. There was like a, I heard this rumor that he like bought a house there, but like nobody could ever verify it. And as far as I know, nobody ever saw him around. I have heard there the Kiefer Sutherland thing though. Um, I mean, I heard that one yeah. firsthand. <laughs> well, yeah, no, Kiefer Sutherland verified from many sources that happened. I mean, I'm pretty sure that that man, that man has been to every single bar in the entire country. <laughs> <laughs> one per yes. town at least yes yeah, yeah. well oh Dan, so what are we gonna uh, do with this <laughs> yeah i would say like we could keep on going on and on about this but um are, are you asking me i'm asking you what are you You're asking do? me all right i'm Other going than first. The, all right so i mean is it a murder she wrote what are we happening what what are we happening well there? that's how no speak. it's it's not a murder she wrote this is one where it doesn't make any sense to have a sequel it doesn't make any sense to kind of continue on with the the fowler family drama um especially since we no longer have tom wilkinson with us um i i just don't see a uh a future in, in that way i don't think that it would necessarily translate well to stage um i just don't really see that but i do know that the you know, the source material is a short story. Andre Dubus is is also no longer with us. But I feel like other writings kind of talking about maybe kind of setting it in the same universe as in the bedroom where maybe it's just like references to the Strout cannery or something like that. You know, where it's like, I feel like there's a, a great opportunity to set more in kind of this atmosphere of uh and not just because i love murder she wrote but like i an otherwise humble new england town um and and kind of the 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 things that are going on in people's personal lives um you know because this is a very personal story they even like the any kind of trials or hearings that they have they're very small they don't Mm -hmm. feel like they're like big deals it's like 
uh, it almost just feels like they're trying to keep things as tightly, you know, sealed as possible. And uh, I really kind of like that world for a story like this. And I think that I just want to see more like this, uh, whether it is a film or a book. Um, I think that that would be kind of, uh, I don't know, feel appropriate to me. I don't know, Dan, this was a, right. this is a tough one. This isn't one where it's just like, oh, did you hear they're coming out with a, uh, a new, a new one in the, in the bedroom series? Like, oh, fuck yeah. Well, yeah, well, no, there's the musical. And then in a couple of years, there's going to be the movie musical based on the stage musical. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm saying this as color purple and mean girls are both in theaters. The mean girls was a much quicker turnaround. Uh, and, uh, it's, uh, by all accounts, color purple is quite wonderful. I have yet to see it, but, uh, yeah, this is a tough one. And, uh, one way you could go with it is just an entire spinoff about Karen Allen's character. Cause we only got one scene with her <laughs> and we, true, she is true. doing what she's working. We saw her in, in Indiana Jones and the dial of destiny. So a, a Karen Allen, a Karenaissance, if you will. So, uh, no, that I was thinking about the play idea and it was kind of like, I could see how you could make it work, but it's just not a very interesting concept. So what I was thinking was remaking, like, a, I think a loose remake, a new, ad, mm -hmm. like something else based on the story, but not set in the same place, not maybe not even set in this country like where would be yeah. another like i mean uh, honestly and like i don't not really you know knowing uh <laughs> you know the various behaviors of com communities and everything it feels like this would trans translate very well to uh, scandinavia but also potentially like i'm thinking of like i would be interesting to see this in like a south american setting um uh -huh. and just like kind of playing with different dynamics but that same idea of uh, that same basic story of the parents the yeah. you know the parents with the differing styles the kid who's making these questionable choices you know like you can have the same characters you don't have to call them the same names but you can yeah. have the same characters you could have the same interactions but say okay well what happens when we take this situation and move it here i think that to oh, me you know, is what's most I, interesting about this yeah and I think that when you're talking about like Scandinavia, the fishing thing still works. Yeah. Like you can still have something like that. Uh, not it's to almost, say that that's but it's a necessary almost component. Too, but it's almost like too straightforward. Yeah. Like I want to well, see something different. So uh, this isn't a one for one, but I think that you would really like uh, the movie Anatomy of a Fall that is uh, currently out and is kind of uh, up for all sorts of uh, awards uh yeah. it is it is a it's an incredible movie it's one of my favorites of 2023 and uh, it is you know it's a it's a courtroom drama that uh that kind of keeps you thinking like what really did happen you know it's it's set around this moment after a a man is found dead outside of his home and uh, 
everything kind of points to the idea that his wife uh, is responsible and they, you know, they're, they have a child who is blind, uh, who was blinded in an accident. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, blaming that happens between uh, his parents, the, you know, the father being the one who, who is dead. And I, you see in uh, it's not so much of a flashback because it's all because a, a a recording is played in a in a courtroom, but you see a moment taken from their lives, you know, in the days leading up to what happened, and it's very much like that scene in in the bedroom where they are just exploding at each other with all of their feelings and all the things they've been keeping inside, and. Uh, you know, they're people who are, you know, they're writers, they're intellectuals, and it's mm-hmm. all about the decisions that they've made and, you know, what they, you know, wanted their lives to be versus what they are. And so uh, I think that that's one that, you know, given what you just said, I think would really appreciate, um, not to say that it is, you know, uh, similar in plot exactly to In the Bedroom, but it, it, has a lot of those same elements that I think you would appreciate. Right. Yeah. And what, from what I've read about it, yeah, same. I felt like, okay, this, this movie is something that's up my alley. So I'm looking oh, forward yeah. to it's, catching up with it. It's awesome. Yeah. That's one where you're not going to want to watch it on a phone. You're going to want to watch it at least on a, a larger uh, television or something. Not to say that it's like visually stunning or anything like that, but it's like, you just want to focus on it. I want to engage. I just want to like shut everything yeah. else off. And I want like if I'm watching the movie on the very distracting, the very device that's going to distract me. Yeah. yeah. Like I don't want the phone there when I'm watching these movies. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Uh, we'll get there. Yeah. We'll get there. Yeah. Yes. I, I, but I mean, clearly we both really like in the bedroom. It's a uh, really fascinating I don't know, dramatic thriller. I don't even know. Would you call it a thriller? It has thrilling moments, but I don't know if it's really just like a nonstop heart pounder. It's It's a family drama. It's an intense drama. It's yeah. Yeah. It's it's drama. I mean, drama is dramatic. It doesn't need like drama can be thrilling. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So even when it, even when it goes into that territory of, of like plotting the murder, it does not feel like a like some out of place third act like swerve. Mm-hmm. It it all feels yeah. very very connected. So yeah. very very uh, grateful for the opportunity to go back. So thanks to Eric for recommending yeah. that. And just you know, we were we were mulling over the main movies, and the passing of Tom Wilkinson was the deciding factor. So sure, but, otherwise it probably would have been the Good Son. It would. We will come back to the to the Good Son. I I'd have a to. fondness for that film, but I, more on. Do that you really? At a I didn't know. Date. See, I I didn't know, and you know, it's something that Eric and I talked about, where it's like you know Macaulay Culkin and Elijah Wood being like in our age group. Mm-hmm. You being a few years older, I was just like, I don't know if Dan would identify so much with that movie because he's a little bit older but, than those characters. But 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 I still was, you know, Uncle Buck, Home Alone, 
saw sure. saw yeah. all those and it, you know good son comes along in 1993 and it's like oh macaulay culkin and it's rated r and uh, like yeah, yeah of, of course i i was i was down he drops an f-bomb like come on i, I suppose if there's going to be a movie that's more dramatic and uh, uh squirmy than in the bedroom it's going to be the good son so main <laughs> you really uh no i you really I, as, figured it out as much as i enjoy the the good son in the bedroom a as the the squirm factor uh duly covered yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, why don't we talk a little bit about our next episode? We put the call out on social media for uh, our audience to weigh in on uh, our Maryland pick. So, Dan, why don't you share that with everybody? Yeah, so we're going to Maryland, and we are going, of course, uh, if not the most iconic Maryland director, but certainly a filmmaker who has uh, built the city of Baltimore into his identity and legacy is John Waters. And we're going to be looking at uh, 1998's Pecker, starring Edward yeah. Furlong, Christina Ricci, uh, Martha Plimpton is, is in it, Mary Kay Place. Uh, um, a movie that I have not seen in a long time, but Me I either. have... I was a diva there's lines of that movie there's scenes that i can still picture in my head and there are lines yeah. that i could still recite word for word so oh i God. am i'm just i'm excited to watch that movie and and talk about it it's, it's, we've talked about john waters before but it's always fun to come back yeah. and talk about john waters and I feel like, you know, we have like a spreadsheet for the podcast. And when we were kind of mapping out uh, this exploration, the cinematic exploration of the U.S. states. And I think that for uh, when we were first like designing all of this for Maryland, I think the first one I put in there was Pecker because I was just like, hey, of course, John Waters and uh, Yes, you could go pink flamingos. You could do something that's maybe a little bit more like iconic John Waters. But it's like there are those movies that he has where it's just like, oh, this could only exist from this person at this time in this place. And yes, I I, I mean, not to say that pink flamingos isn't that also, but. But we'll, we'll talk we'll, about it more. Yeah, in the next we're going to talk about Maryland. We'll talk about Baltimore, and we'll talk about John Waters and what makes Pecker uh, the right choice for that episode. Yeah, well, Dan, as you are uh, rotating that bridge and traveling around in a circle, rotation after rotation after rotation, I wish you a good journey. Good journey. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>